Welcome to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and we're broadcasting from the floor of the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions Annual Industry Summit meeting in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This segment focuses on online medical education and specifically some unique oncology examples, some powerful outcomes in oncology. We'll take a look at that and some interesting data on how clinicians like to learn. Joining me is Linda Gracie King. She's managing partner and co-founder of Access Medical Education, where she oversees educational strategy. Welcome, Linda. We're glad you could join us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So oncology education, you've been in this space a while. Tell us about your background there. Sure, absolutely. I've had the pleasure of being in oncology medical education for nearly 15 years. So I'm very passionate about providing unique and educational strategies for healthcare professionals that practice in the oncology space. My background actually is kind of unique in regards to I have two different perspectives that I can bring to the table. Not only have I worked in a myriad of different medical education and communication companies over the past 15 years, I also have had the unique pleasure of being a senior grant manager at Millennium Pharmaceuticals. So not only do I bring the industry side and perspective to the table, but I also have the background in the educational strategy from the MEC standpoint as well. Yeah, that makes total sense in terms of being able to have multiple perspectives. So you would be able to answer this then, sort of a challenge statement. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest challenge you see oncology healthcare professionals facing in terms of education today? You know, I think oncology is a very unique area, and for anyone who follows the oncology space, they'll recognize that the American Society of Clinical Oncology has just put out, over the past couple of years, a statement with regards to the looming medical oncology shortage, so a shortage of physicians that our industry will be facing within the next 10 to 15 years. So I do think that presents a very unique challenge when it comes to providing medical education, because there are very high demands on their time, as it stands right now, today. I also think that there's a shifting trend where, you know, your advanced practice oncology nurses and your board certified oncology pharmacists are actually having to take on more and more responsibility for patient care in the clinic. And so we're seeing kind of a trend now emerge in medical education demands to, you know, reach those mid-level providers as well as provide more convenient on-demand types of education for medical oncologists. That makes sense. The demand is certainly there. Are the education providers meeting that demand? Are you seeing more innovative or better ways to access the information? I am. I think that the industry in general has pushed medical education companies specifically uh, to be more creative and to be more innovative in the way they deliver medical education. I think that over, you know, we're going to see a trend over the next couple of years where we're going to see a growing body of professionals that want to engage in on-demand education, purely because of the convenient element that it brings to the table, you know, for them, but also the fact that on-demand education, when it first kind of came into play, wasn't so sexy. It was slides synchronized with audio, and not that that's ineffective by any stretch of the means, it's still a very effective way of doing medical education. I just think with the advent of technology, we've seen a lot more opportunities for audience engagement, different tactics that you can build in to an on-demand education program that provides that learner reinforcement and higher engagement factor, much like you see in a live education program. Sure. And, and I imagine those tools have allowed you to, to formulate some pretty cool education with interesting outcomes. But before I get there, let me ask you, you all did a pretty in-depth survey of your learners. Yes. What did you find? You know, it's been very 
very interesting. You know, periodically, you always survey the folks that are coming to your education programs. And historically, the trend has always supported live education as the number one preferred venue, if you will, for receiving or engaging in continuing medical education. And although that trend is still continuing, the delta has shrunk tremendously um, based on historic data that we've seen in the past, where maybe 20% delta difference between live versus on-demand or print, we're actually seeing now that delta being only a few percentage points. And we just recently, as you mentioned, we have an ongoing survey that we're doing. And right now, our N is nearly 1,000 participants in oncology specifically. And the trend has showed, yes, live, uh, grand rounds, or participating in, in major medical meetings, conferences, satellite symposia is still their preferred mechanism. But a very close second is on-demand, any type of on-demand activity. We specifically drilled down on that question because we were interested to find out whether the trend is still kind of the same as historical uh, for the amount of time that folks would like to engage in an on-demand type of activity. What are you finding? Well, historically, it's been roughly about 15 minutes. But now what we're seeing is there is a trend that is gravitating more towards 30-minute to one-hour based on-demand educational activities. And I think that goes back to a statement that I made earlier where on-demand actually simulates a little bit more of the live environment now. There's much more um, opportunity for audience engagement Mm -hmm. and a sense of on-demand communities where you can see peer-to-peer benchmarking and you get immediate feedback and can ask faculty questions. Where when we first started in on-demand education, as I mentioned, it was kind of stagnant, you know, one-sided education. Right. So if if it is 30, 45 minutes to an hour... Was there a more preferred format somewhere between the audio, audio podcast downloads, the video, the simulation? What what did you see there? We didn't ask specific questions on the types of um, on-demand education. We kind of bucketed it all together. But in other kinds of disparate data that we have based on our evaluations, we're seeing a lot more of a trend towards video-based education where there's polling questions that are you know, interjected um, you know, throughout the course of the activity. You can do a lot more with text-based as well. You can do inter- interactive cases and... Again, building in that sense of community, that social learning aspect. So uh, from a specific type of on-demand, we didn't actually ask that particular question, but it was just more in general, on-demand as a bucket, if you will, of types of um, educational interventions. You know, how long would you prefer to be engaged? Terrific. If you're just tuning in, this is Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, and we are discussing online education and oncology in particular And with me is Linda Gracie King, and I'm your host, Alicia Sutton. So let's get to some of the outcomes. You've done some interesting uh, education and found some pretty powerful outcomes. Can you describe some of those opportunities and what you saw? So one of the things about access medical education, we we pride ourselves in bringing um, professional partners together. We recognize we can't be all things to all people. So in a couple of unique instances, we've engaged in doing performance improvement activities where... The entire curriculum is built on demand, so it's a virtual environment. It's a serial learning curriculum where one component builds upon the next component. We partnered with Real CME, and we've done some things with ReachMD as well because they bring to the table a lot of that innovation that I've been talking about, higher engagement tactics, etc. And one of the things that we're learning is having those individuals, bringing those folks into a serial learning curriculum, historically the pull-through effect, getting folks to start the curriculum and complete all different segments 
was sometimes a challenge. And what we're finding is we have a very high pull-through on our programs in PICME. One particular instance is one that we're doing in CML, and we have a national cohort that we're comparing to an individual cohort, and we're looking for trends, not only from a curriculum standpoint in performance improvement, over baseline, but we're also in our closed cohort looking at electronic medical record results so that we can compare the provider level, curriculum level outcomes to what we're seeing in trends in actual patient outcomes. That's excellent. You know, you're right. It is. It historically has been hard. It's actually still quite hard to get clinicians to go through the PICME short of needing it for specific reasons on their maintenance and certification. How are you getting them to do it? Do you attribute that to the differences in the type of education? I do. I think it's a couple of different ways. We have dedicated recruitment efforts, and I think that's very, very critical in the success of any medical education program. So we do have you know, some personalized recruitment for our closed cohort. We have national recruitment that we're doing across not only through Access Medical Education, but our professional partners. The engagement, I think, is truly a testament to the need for this type of education. There are some large educational gaps, in, especially in CML, and I do think that that drives a physician's willingness to stay engaged in a program such as a serial learning curriculum. Right. So performance improvement obviously is looking at uh, a very specific thing, but what else were you designing to measure in there? What type of domains? There are seven different learning domains that we're looking at across the curriculum level. So knowledge, competence, confidence, performance, et cetera. Then at the actual performance level, when we look in the de-identified patient level data, we're looking for um, things that tie back to our learning objectives. So one of the the challenges with CML that we see right now um, is the fact that clinicians are really struggling with when and how to switch therapies. When do they know when a first-line therapy has become a little less effective? and it's a time for them to introduce a second generation or a third generation type of a therapy. So we're looking for trends in the data, the patient level data with regards to that. Obviously, we're looking at guideline adherence. So we look at NCCN and ASCO types of guidelines for the way that physicians are trending towards adhering to those guidelines. That's excellent. Are, do you have results coming in or is it too soon? Come back and tell us the results right, if it is too soon. exactly. Yeah. So this is year-long, oh, actually a little over a year-long educational initiative. We are slating to have our final results by the end of this year, so the end of 2015, and there is a publications plan in place for us to publish those results. We actually also submitted an abstract to the Alliance to hopefully present those results at next year's Alliance meeting. Good. We look forward to that. So what about the um, healthcare professional? You know, the, the, the oncologist, as you said, they're, they're all very busy on any aspect, any physicians or ONS uh, professionals. How do they go find education for their own staff members? Do you have any recommendations for that? Because sometimes they are responsible for ensuring that their own teams get enough education. You're absolutely right. And there's a tremendous shortage of oncology-specific education for the advanced practice oncology nurse and board-certified oncology pharmacists. And from an access standpoint, I can tell you, we actually provide all of our downloadable or collateral materials. We build in what we call facilitator guides, and we give those to advanced practitioners um, so that they're able to take those resources with fully referenced speaker notes and use them for continuing medical education within their institution. 
interventions. They can use them as lunch and learns. They can do them as dinner programs, etc. We try to be a trusted resource in that regard, but there is definitely a shortage for medical education. I do know Oncology Nursing Society also offers a tremendous amount of educational resources for the oncology nurse. They're a fabulous organization, but it's a fee for service. So there's definitely a challenge there sometimes financially for those nurses to be able to tap into those educational resources. Oh, that's great. So looking five years out from now, what would you like to see in oncology education? How might it be different from today? You know, when you think about it in regards to online education, because I do think that's going to be a growing trend, um, again, because it offers that added element of convenience, um, and we're seeing the, the, the pendulum switch from, you know, yes, they like live education, but we're also seeing an increase in their interest and willingness to engage in on-demand types of activities. So I don't think that trend is going to go away. What I do think is we'll see higher levels of engagement built into those types of curricula. Um, maybe we may even see them go as far as taking examples from the gaming industry where you know the gamification if you will um, where it's a simulated type of environment but you actually feel like you're really in you know that combat zone or in that clinic if you will so I would like to see you know some simulation types of activities um, you know, brought to the table um, you know from from professional partners that access might be able to tap into sure absolutely so have you been able to bring in any level of patient education into your CME? So those would be the patients, of course, that belong to the physicians and nurses Absolutely. that you're training. Are you doing that? Yes, we do. And as a matter of fact, that's a wonderful point. I think that it's really important, especially because oncology healthcare professionals are so incredibly busy, that you provide them with trusted resources. You'll hear medical oncologists always say, don't always believe what you read on the internet. Well, it's true because these patients will come in and they'll print so much information off. What we like to provide to our healthcare professionals that participate in any of our programs is that resource list. Where a turn guide. And we actually partner with a lot of advocacy groups for our types of educational programming that we provide. We actually will provide on a USB thumb drive, downloadable resources, teaching guides for sitting down and providing patients and caregivers with, you know, very trusted information about their diagnosis, what to expect with their treatment, and how to, you know, identify and manage their side effects accordingly so they can get the maximum benefit from their therapy. Yeah, terrific. So your background, as you said, you did work for a while at Millennium, and we are at that annual meeting of the Alliance Industry Summit. Uh, what have you seen change over the years in terms of the CME community here? Oh, wow. That's a good question. A lot. A lot has changed. I think that there's been, over the past couple of years, just a higher level of value put on the outcomes and the data that we, as medical education communication companies, can provide back to our industry. And I think it's really important that we recognize that we should be sharing that information, collectively contributing to the body of evidence that validates the value of continuing medical education. And I think that you know everyone that comes to this meeting, the Alliance meeting, would collectively agree with me that now is the time for us to really kind of share across the board lessons that we've learned, things that work well, things that maybe aren't working so well, and the data that supports um, the value of medical education. That's good. Any key takeaways from this meeting as we uh, 
wrap this up? Quality. <laughs> um, that seems to be the buzzword of you know the next couple of years is you know how do you integrate you know quality measures into your medical education program and how do you tie that back into improving you know system level um, you know care and overcoming some of the barriers that our healthcare systems are seeing um, again through providing high quality medical education. So I don't think quality is going to be gone anytime soon. I think that's going to be a growing trend. I think you're right, and for our Listeners and our viewers, if they want to see your education, they can go to your website. Absolutely. It's www.accessmeded.com. Excellent. Linda, we thank you so much for joining us. You have great insights. Well, thank you so much for having me again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This series is co-produced with the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. For more information and a full library of medical broadcasts, please visit reachmd.com. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and we will see you next time.